There we go. What's up, Anthem? How are you guys? Yeah? You doing all right? Man, as Doug said, my name is Isaac, and I'm so excited to be with you. I had such a blast when I was here last May, and I'm so excited to be with you here today. Um, but can I say this? You guys have an awesome college staff that really, really love you. Can you just give it up for your college staff? Yeah. Like, yeah, they, they do a fantastic job, and it's really cool for me just hanging out with them and just seeing the conversations that they have, how they can love you better and serve you better. So you guys should be encouraged. But I thought I would set up our time together today by sharing a, a kind of a personal story with you. Is that cool? Can I do that? Okay. So do we have any Puerto Ricans in the room? Yeah, there we go. There we go. All right. So this story, here, <laughs> and you, <laughs> you know where the Puerto Ricans are because you can definitely hear them no matter where they're sitting. Right. So the story starts back in 1977 in the Caribbean island of Puerto Rico. Now, there was this guy or this man, his name was David. See, now David in 1977, he's kind of in his 50s, but about 30 years prior, right, he, he was in uh, probably early 30s, and he was not following Jesus at all. He was just kind of doing whatever he wanted, uh, however he wanted, and he was walking down the street not totally sober um, one Saturday night, and he had a Saul of Tarsus-like experience where God literally struck him down onto his knees in the middle of a city in Puerto Rico where he was there for hours um, just praying and repenting and committed his life to Jesus, right? So, which is awesome. So the next morning, he goes to church. His future wife is leading worship. They get married. They fall in love. They have babies, right? And then after he became a Christian, uh, he, after he became a Christian, uh, he just was so passionate to tell people about Jesus. So he would just tell, talk about Jesus everywhere that he went. So he would go to the street and talk to people about Jesus. And then he would, and people would gather to listen. Then he would go to the park to talk to people about Jesus. And people would gather to listen. And then eventually he was in church buildings. And then larger church buildings. And then outside pavilions. And then he became this like traveling evangelist, really like a Spanish Billy Graham type person eventually where he's filling up soccer stadiums to people hear him talk about Jesus. And tons and tons of people are getting saved through his ministry, including Puerto Rican drug cartel members, right? They are, they are coming to his ministry, and they are getting saved, like, by God's grace, which is awesome. But these Puerto Rican mob bosses, they don't like that their boys are getting saved because they're no longer selling drugs and pushing drugs anymore. So these bosses decide to put an end to David's life. So on a Sunday afternoon in 1977, they did a drive-by shooting at his house. They shot David, and they also shot his 16-year-old daughter. So they got rushed to the hospital, and they didn't know if they were going to make it or not. And while they were in the hospital, the Puerto Rican government officials told the family that it was no longer safe for them to be in Puerto Rico. So they didn't know what to do, and they were trying to figure out where to go. Now, this Spanish-speaking pastor in Texas, he hears what had happened to this family, and he knew that they needed a place to go, so he invited them to come over to Texas. So three months later, they both 16-year-old daughter and David recovered and literally got wheeled on a wheelchair from the hospital to the airport onto that like, airplane runway, got on a plane, and flew to Texas to the Spanish-speaking pastor. Now, the Spanish-speaking pastor also had a 17-year-old son. You see where this is going, right? So 16-year-old daughter, who's like super hardcore and got shot and survived, meets this 16-year-old uh, pastor's son. They meet. They start dating. They fall in love. They're high school sweethearts. They get married, and those are my parents, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so we all, like, and I, that really has kind of 
the point is why I tell you that is that God is love, right? Because we're talking about God is love. So even through all of that, God is protection can't, God's protection was over uh, my family. So it had the bullet been an inch higher, a bench, an inch lower to the left or to the right, like my mom, she would not have survived, and I would not be here, right? So that's, that's part of my story. Now, your story may not include Puerto Rican drug cartel members. I'm, it probably does not. But your story does include something, right? And you are here by, from a miracle. You are here by God's grace, and you are here because God loves you, right? So as we're talking about God is love, right, just think about your story and think about, like, how the events have happened for all of us to be in this room together today. So I'm just going to pray a prayer of gratitude to God for just allowing us to be here together today. So pray with me. God, I thank you so much just for who you are. I thank you for your steadfast love, God, and thank you just for loving us and bringing us here together today. I thank you for your son, Jesus, God, and how he provides a way to you. And I thank you for your spirit that lives within us and dwells within us. God, and I pray that we can just be attentive to your word today. Help me, God, to be helpful unto the spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as Doug said, uh, yeah, I'm from I'm from Texas, so that I, so they, they my parents they grew up in Texas, and then I grew up in the Houston area. Eventually, I go to the greatest university in the world, Baylor University, which is great at almost everything except football, which I'm sure the UCF fans in the room are very well aware of, right? Uh, for those that don't know, UCF beat Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl back in 2013. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> there we go. So, so then I, I moved to Dallas, and now I'm working for a church, and I get to do um, young adult ministry. And as a part of that, um, this past summer, I was asked by my church to go do, to be with the students to go to, um, to go to student ministry camp, to go to summer camp. And we went to Colorado. And while we were there, um, we went whitewater rafting. Has anybody gone whitewater rafting before? Yeah, oh, yeah, a good, oh, yeah, a number of us. That's awesome. So while we're whitewater rafting, if you've never been, this is what it's like. Like you go to the riverbank and then you put on a life jacket and then you have to put on a helmet and then you have to make sure you have the right shoes. And then they gather everybody around and then they give the speech, right? The safety speech, the safety instructor gives the speech. And if you've never heard the speech before, it goes, it goes something like this. As we were there, the, the, this woman goes, Welcome to Arkansas River Tours, where safety is our number one priority, right? And they all kind of like sound like that, right? And then she continues to say, please remain in the rafts at all times. Should you find yourself outside of the raft, you may find yourself in a low oxygen area, right? <laughs> right, you guys get it. So, should you find yourself in a low oxygen area within seven feet, grab onto an outreach paddle. If you are at eight feet, it is in your best interest to get within seven feet so you can grab onto an outreach paddle, right? So then, then she, would, she would continue, right? And then she said, you know, if you guys have been whitewater rafting, do not stand up because if you stand up, then your feet kind of get caught in the rocks and a lot of things could happen. And then she says, don't, you know, nose and toes. You got to keep your toes out of the water. You got to keep your toes out of the water to navigate the rocks. And then don't rescue, don't try to rescue anybody if you're outside of the raft. Like, just focus on you yourself being safe. And then when you're in the raft, then you can go and rescue people. Okay, so, so, we, so we get in the raft, and, and the, the raft guide, the, the, the guy in the boat, he is the broiest of bros, right? You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. His homeboy's named Jason, right? So Jason's like, all right, all right guys, you know, we're going to have a good time here. 
And then we asked, oh, Jason, it's like, have you done whitewater rafting before? He's like, no, it's my first time. Watch a couple YouTube videos, though. We'll be all right. All right, guys, so, so just paddle along with me. The number one thing you need to know is you got to paddle together. Just paddle together. All right? And then if you, uh, here we go. Yeah, just paddle together. And if, and if you're not paddling together, things may get a little crunchy. And the white, what crunchy meant was you're going to get impaled by rocks with your raft, right? And then he says, and if things get a little crunchy, you may go for a swim. And what he, by swim, he meant you're going to get violently thrown into a rushing river. So they, they love to use euphemisms, apparently, right? So, so we're actually doing okay. We're, we're, having, we're doing a good day. We're having a good time. And then our raft, all of a sudden, we crunch, right? So we, we hit this rock that we couldn't see, and our raft shoots straight up in the air. And then, as we all know, whatever comes up <laughs> must come down. And as things come down, there was a girl that was next to me that was no longer Mexican. She goes, she goes for a swim, right? And then as she goes in, I actually go in right after her, right? And I myself go for a swim. So then what do I do whenever I'm swimming? I stick my feet in the rocks to stand up, and then I try to be the hero and go rescue her, right? But, but like, as we know, that's exactly what not to do, because had you asked me in the moment, hey, like, whenever they're giving the safety instructions, hey, Isaac, what, what do you do if you go swimming, right, or go into the low oxygen area? I would have told you what, what they said, nose and toes, get your nose and toes out of the water. But in the moment when it came, ta- when it came time to act, I did what I actually believed, because... You say what you think, but you act what you believe. You say what you think, but you act what you believe. So had you asked me after the safety instructions what I thought, I would have told you exactly what to do. But when it came time to act, my actions said what I, excuse me, what I actually believed. So when it comes to this idea of God's love, that God is love, something that we've heard our entire lives, especially if you've grown up in church, right, that God is love and we're supposed to love others, something that you know to be true and the safety instruction that are like sermons in Sunday school or whatever, but unless you take action on it, you don't actually believe it, right? So how can you not just think that God is love, but believe that God is love, right? How do we, how do we do that? So this is the main point, you have it there in your outline, is that this is the main point, love flows downstream, Love flows downstream, right? And what do I mean by that? So if you have your Bibles or your apps, turn to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to explore this idea of love flowing downstream. 1 John chapter 4, right? And as we're reading, I want you to notice the theme of love flowing down. Right? So as we're reading, just notice this theme of love flowing down. So there's a, there's a, a few verses we're going to read here, because we're going to read from 7 all the way to 21. From 7 all the way to 21. So follow with me. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God abides in him and he is God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have a confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he First, loved us. Verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he, can't, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay, so this passage is talking a lot about the relationship between God and love. So the working definition of love that we're going to work with is this. Love is a decision, sometimes accompanied by emotions, that leads to commitment. Love is a decision, sometimes accompanied by emotions, that leads to commitment. Guys, love is an action. Love is a choice. Love is a decision. You, you choose to love somebody, and as you're choosing to love somebody, there are times when you will get the feels, right? Sometimes accompanied by emotion. Sometimes you will get the feels. So what that looks like is maybe there's like this brotherly or sisterly affection, like for a friend, maybe some of your best friends or other people that you grew up with. There's like this brotherly or sisterly, like deep love for them and a friendship type love. Or those of you that are, that are dating or married, you've experienced this romantic type love. And as you know, especially the people that are married, sometimes the feels are there and they are very strong and sometimes the feels are not there, right? Or maybe, and God willing, you guys become parents one day, like you're, you're going to feel this parental love for a child, right? But especially with kids, sometimes you won't, right? So, but sometimes those feels don't come. Does that mean you don't love them? No, right? Because love is not a feeling. It's not. Love is action. See, regardless of the feels, love is an unconditional commitment to someone, right? So we're, we're talking about this imagery of the river, right? Just because a river is muddy, that doesn't mean it stops flowing, right? Just because you feel down in the dumps, like, doesn't mean you stop loving. Regardless of how a river feels, it still flows. Love is not a feeling, right? So no matter how you feel, love is a decision, sometimes accompanied by emotions that leads to commitment. So we're unpacking this idea that God is love. And what we mean by that is God's unconditional commitment to us, right? So, so what do we mean by that God's unconditional commitment to us? Well, we look at verses 7 and 8 where it says, God is love because love is from God. God is the one that defines what love means. But we have a problem with our English word love. Because as, as I'm sure you may have experienced, like for me, I love my parents and I love tacos, right? Right? Do you guys love tacos? So like, 
and I think it would be a little bit unfair to compare this like delicious flour tortilla with like steak fajita and guac and pico de gallo, maybe a little bit of sour cream. It'd be unfair to compare that to the people that cleaned my dirty diapers growing up, right? That just like surely we're talking about two different things here, right? So there's a lot of inconsistency when we use love. So if we want to know what that really means, we have to look at the source. And when we look at the source, we look upstream to the source of a river to see what's flowing down. See, and the text here is saying that God is the source of love. See, and as John is talking about the definition, God being the definition of love and what it is, there's this big word in verse 10 called propitiation. Have you guys ever heard that word before? Propitiation. Can we say it together? Ready? On three. One, two, three. Propitiation. Good job, guys. Good job. And propitiation is a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of God because of our sin and rebellion and being reconciled to him through Jesus. So Martin Luther, he called this the great exchange, right? The great exchange. And the great exchange was Jesus took on our sin, and in exchange, we take on his righteousness, right? We exchange our sin for the righteousness of Jesus, the great exchange. And God sent his son, Jesus, as a propitiation to take the punishment that we deserve so we can have a relationship with our creator, right? Jesus died the death that he did not deserve so we could live the life that we didn't deserve. The great exchange. Why? Why would, why would Jesus do this? Why would God send his son? Because he loves us, right? He came to us, right? And God's love flowed down to us through Jesus, right? And God's love for us is completed as we love one another, as we love others. The circuit of God's love is completed when we love one another. See, it is the most natural thing for a river to flow downstream, right? And if the river is not flowing downstream, it's not a river. Because, like, the definition of river is that, like, it, it flows downstream. So if it's not flowing, it's not a river. In eighth grade, um, I, was, I was the manager of my football team, right? I, I really wanted to play football, but my parents didn't let me. They probably saw the upcoming thing called the football stuff, and they didn't want me to break a leg, so they didn't let me play football. But I really wanted to, but I still couldn't. But I still wanted to hang out with the team. So the best thing that I could do was be the manager, meaning I still got to hang out with the team. I still got to um, go to the games. I still got to miss a few, a few classes. But I still felt a little like, I felt kind of weird that I was the manager and not actually on the team. So my number one responsibility as manager was filling up the water coolers and the water bottles, right? So I was kind of like filling it up a little bit, like here, here you go, here you go during games. But one of the star players uh, in one of the games, he got hurt. Right, so so he comes and because he doesn't have anything to do now because he's hurt, he was like, "Oh, I'll fill up water bottles, no problem." So he's filling up water bottles and then he pulls out his inner Oprah, where he's like, "You get a water bottle and you get a water bottle and everybody gets water bottles." Right? That's what our love should look like, overflowing to give to others. And God's perfect love for us is completed as we love one another. God's love flows to us and continues flowing through us to love others. So do you want to know if you feel loved by God? Do you want to know? Just just look at your life. Like, are you loving others? Because if you're not, if you're not loving others, there is a strong probability that you don't feel loved by God. If you're not loving others, there's a very strong probability that you don't feel loved by God. 
But John tells us repeatedly through this passage that we ought to love one another. But very interestingly, he, he doesn't motivate with a threat of punishment or a promise or reward here. He's not doing like a psychological, like carrot and stick type, type thing. Like he doesn't say love or else God will be really mad at you, right? Like there is no threat. He also doesn't say love or you're, you're going to get lots and lots and lots of money. Like there's no promise of reward. There's no future reward in these verses. So how does John motivate in this passage? He doesn't point forward. He points backward. He says, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Right? So he doesn't point downstream to a promise or threat. He pointed upstream to love. Like, why? Why did John do that? Because love flows down to you from God, and it is the most natural thing for love to continue flowing through you from God down to others downstream. It's the most natural thing. When you know that you are beloved, it's easy to love others. And when you have an inexhaustible resource of love, it's easy to be that source of love for others. So, like, one of the axioms here um, in the ministry is we don't work to the cross, we work from the cross. Have you guys heard that before in here? Like, we don't work to the cross, we work from the cross. And in the same way, we don't love others to get God to love us, we love others because God has already loved us, right? We don't love others for God to love us more, we love others because God has already loved us. And here's the thing, too, is that when we know we are loved by God, we know that God's love casts out fear, right? God's love casts out fear because people that believe they are loved by God are marked by a fearlessness that frees us up to love other people. So unfortunately, you are, you are a generation that is marked by fear, right? Because you guys grew up um, in an unprecedented way, when it, specifically when it comes to technology, right? I'm sure some of you guys, like, you were in middle school whenever the first iPhone came out. Like, you have, you have no paradigm for what it's like to be, to be an adult and to navigate life, like, without a smartphone. You have no context for that. And as you have no context for that, and with, with smartphones comes the rise of social media. And, I, and I'm not bashing social media at all. Like, a big part of my job in Texas is I... I do communications, and I, I work, and I, I, like, I have to know, like, the ins and outs of social media, and I think it can be a really helpful tool, but if we're not careful, it can also be really, really destructive, right? And, and here's, here's how. Uh, like, let's say that you were, like, just fine spending the night to yourself, and then you jump on Snapchat, and then you see a bunch of your friends hanging out, and they didn't invite you, and then instantly, like, this feeling of, like, bitterness and, like, resentment, like, comes over them, right? Maybe you've experienced that. And, and then you maybe, like, you start thinking, like, I have no friends. I'm lonely. Like, nobody likes me, right? Or, or maybe, like, your, your crush isn't noticing you, and then you jump on Insta, and then you just see, like, another friend who just got into a relationship, or you see homeboy or homegirl, like, goes on a date, or you see them spending, like, all day at Disney or Universal um, uh, with somebody. And, and then you think, like, I'm never going to get married. I'm going to be alone forever, Right? Maybe, maybe you've experienced that. Or maybe, like, somebody just got a really awesome internship or a job, like, right out of college. Right? And then you think, I'm never going to get a job. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be poor forever. And as you're driving on I-4, you're already kicking out the bridge that you're going to live under. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Guys, and as, as the stress 
continues to build the worry, the anxiety, the fear sets in, and it takes over your life, right? Maybe, maybe you've experienced that fear and anxiety, right? But, but this is what your Bible says. It says, perfect love casts out fear, if you have the ESV. If you have the NIV, it says this, perfect love drives out fear, right? You have the NLT, the New Living Translation, it says, perfect love expels all fear. And do we have any KJV, like King Jamesers in the room? Yeah, here we go. Yeah, it says, perfect love casteth out fear, right? The same, the same idea that fear and love do not go together because when you are know you are loved by God, there is no fear. It says perfect love casts out fear. See, and as you remind yourself of God's perfect love for you, 